of podcasts you are listening to. <clears throat> You're listening to Weird Christian Twitter, the podcast, with your hosts, Amy, Andrew, and Finchface. I think we're five years away of being extinct. Oh, Earth is ghetto. Oh, Earth is ghetto. Oh, Earth is ghetto. I want to leave the very most 10 being extinct. Hi, guys. Hi. Hello. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. Thanks for coming on. Happy to do so. Yeah. Well, we haven't got our Andrew, so we've got our, a co-host of Lauren, but she's saying she's obsessed with your book Hi, and she's Lauren. got tons of questions. So that's great because... Oh, good. I'm struggling a little bit being British and stuff, so the kind of the, the, the disconnect there, but you know, oh, and yeah, but um, and then obviously Finch. So, um, just finished it this morning. Whoa. Like, oh my gosh, it must have been such a labor of love for you, like to do it. <laughs> I mean, love is one word, I guess, <laughs> yeah. but uh. It was a lot. It was a lot to write it. I mean, I wrote it start to finish in 18 months. So it, oh, wow. uh, I mean, research came before, but the, the writing of it, um, yeah, it was, it was intense. Yeah. And what's your, what do you say your favorite bit is by, and I'm using that in terms of the same word I use love, like, you know, what? <laughs> yeah, favorite. Yeah. Oh, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not like a chapter is my favorite. Yeah. I've got paragraphs or so that's like, oh, yeah, that, that gets it. That gets it just right. And that's actually, those are kind of the, the summative paragraphs here or there that, uh, you know, I think that my editor really pushed me to, you know, okay, Kristen, what are you really saying here? <laughs> and then I, then I would say it and it'd be, it'd be strong, but I'd look at it and yeah, that's what I'm really saying. It's like, yes, it is. And then would go on, you know? And then, so it's a few of those, I think, especially towards the end of the book, mm-hmm. um, chapter, uh, Let's see the um, you know right when we get into the Trump stuff um, and and pulling together the um, you know all of the all the different guys and, and basically saying they're all saying the same thing uh, in the end yeah. and so yeah those sections I think there's just there's just some some paragraphs that really clinch it I think yeah because I just think you know I I love that you've like thank you for coming on to our just random podcast that we started over yeah. lockdown. And um, but just the fact is obviously reading it and recognizing, you know, weird Christian Twitter, like you obviously, you know, kind of know that world on Twitter and stuff for the Christians and, and actually how much people are obviously have come out of churches or are deconstructing in terms of, oh, I don't know what I, you know, think about church um, and evangelicalism and women and complementarianism, you know, which ties into best book as well. And just so I think it's, yeah, I think yeah. your book has really obviously resonated with a lot of people that sort of are in our little sphere of Christianity on Twitter. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, definitely. And we could talk about that because that's, I mean, th- this book has really lived on Twitter yeah. and, and it's been really remarkable. Yeah. That's been one of the powerful tools right now is Twitter. And you see a lot of pushback from the leaders that, that have um, enjoyed this power and controlling the narrative. And now that there are people starting to speak out on Twitter, um, they, they love to throw around words like slander or Matthew 18 um, and really just quiet the masses and they can't. And so um, yes. the timing of this has really just been so, 
sovereign, in my opinion. Um, our family came out of the church a couple of years ago, and the first book that I read that kind of made me feel like I'm not crazy was Chuck DeGroats, uh, When Narcissism Comes yeah. to Church. And I felt like, okay, I'm not crazy. Um, and yours yeah. was another pivotal book for me, just reading it. Um, you know, I like you, born in the church, went to church, Christian school, went to Liberty, you know, uh, loved Eric Metaxas. Like these were, these were everyone you mentioned. I, you know, I'm telling people now the index is like, where, where people ask, what do you think about this guy? I've got a book now. I can go to the index and go, let me tell you. Okay. And that's so powerful. Um, but from my perspective, you know, I listened to Keith Green and I had, um, just all of that experience growing up. But but on the other side, my dad, who didn't go to church, um, indoctrinated me with Rush Limbaugh and country music. And so I had it, yeah. whether from the church or not, the same message. And I just wondered how you went through that and escaped it, like how you were able to not um, absorb the Kool-Aid in that way. Yeah. Oh, there. I mean, first of all, there's so many, so many good things that you just said there because um, – uh, you know, you're absolutely right about what Twitter's doing uh, to disrupt the yeah. gatekeepers mm -hmm. right now. That is, it's it's fascinating to watch that as participant observer right now, uh, because for for you know a couple generations really now they have um, you know conservative leaders have really worked hard to control the narrative and um, have done so largely successfully. And so people who challenge are, are just, um, you know, shown the door uh, forcefully or otherwise. And, and so what's happening now is, you know, the, the, you know, Lifeway Christian Books or, um, you know, the Gospel Coalition or CBMW or all these, uh, you know, gatekeepers essentially are um, really declining in power compared to Twitter, right? What Twitter could do. And I think Beth Moore is a great example of that where, you know, she was powerful before, but, um, but a lot of people didn't know it, especially men <laughs> didn't know how influential she was. And then she's on Twitter and she's got almost a million followers and, and they can hear what she's saying. And, and all of a sudden it's a problem, but um, when they try to shut her down, it doesn't work. And, and so I'm watching that happen right now too, that, you know, uh, the success of Jesus and John Wayne or of Beth Allison Barr's book, um, many of these books, it doesn't depend anymore on, on uh, you know, the permission of leaders or organizations or, you know, reviews from certain magazines, you know, that they can't, they can't shut this down because there's this grassroots network. And so it's incredibly disruptive to the status quo. And it's, it's really quite thrilling to watch that play out. So I think that we are in a different, different um, place right now. Um, but in terms of how I, how I uh, didn't drink the Kool-Aid, I, I think that my salvation in that sense was um, going into academics, honestly, um, which I only did because I wasn't engaged when I graduated from college. And so what else do you do? Um, so I just thought, okay, I'll just keep going to school. I went on to graduate school with no career ambitions, really. I just wanted to keep learning. And so I went off to graduate school. And that's why I discovered, um, you know, an identity, really. I think a community and an identity that was separate from uh, where, you know, how I'd grown up and, um, and I was valued in, in, in a different way. 
And uh, so I, I don't take that for granted because I know that that's, um, you know, it, it, there's a certain privilege in that and, and, a, and a certain degree of luck. And so I was able to gradually and through, through historical research, learn things that help me see the world differently, learn things about feminism. That's where it started and about gender, how gender works. And, and then just learn things about history and how, ah, things haven't always been the way they are now or the way that they're framed now. And so that was really liberating. And so for me, it was a kind of gradual process. It wasn't this stark, you know, oh, I have to abandon everything. Um, And then I also, I grew up in a tradition that Although it would definitely, I think, count as conservative in many ways. There's in the in my tradition, the Christian Reformed Church, there's always been the kind of social justice strand to it. And that's the part that I really latched onto as a as an undergraduate. And so I've always felt like what I'm doing is is wholly consistent with my understanding of, of my tradition. And so I also haven't felt the need to, um, I don't know, it hasn't been so traumatic where I feel like I have to reject everything. I'm just saying, no, this is actually what I see in my tradition and I'm I'm carrying it forward. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a really powerful point, actually, because... Um, you know, I, I grew up in charismatic. I went to Baptist schools. I like so I've had my <laughs> my theology shifted a hundred times and ended up in a non-denominational yeah. church where the emphasis isn't doctrine. It's how does this apply to your life? And so, having left yeah. that and searching for footing, you know, I was drawn to women who were more academic in nature. And um, mm-hmm. and. <laughs> But then you contrast that with uh, Doug Wilson's daughter, who Doug Wilson you speak about in the book. And while I, I had no idea who yeah. Doug Wilson was, and I, I can guarantee most of my homeschool mom friends don't, they do know who his daughter is. And um, yes. so that's, the, that's where you, and you talk about too in your book, how pervasive this is, and we don't realize it. So people will say this yes. isn't a problem, but they don't realize they're quoting Doug Wilson, not scripture, <laughs> because they don't know yes. where it's come from, or James Dobson, or yeah. Egrich, all of yeah. these people. Um, in fact, I I can't tell you, you know, there's so many triggering phrases for me, having having left the church. <laughs> I try and turn on The Bachelor, right, first to like zone out, and they're talking about love languages, and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like I can't get away from her. It helps, let's come over here, we have love languages over it's here. So bad. But, <laughs> But the, t- the point I'm making is with the academia, I- I've heard Doug Wilson's daughter say, hey, the studying's for the boys. You know, stay home, peel your potatoes, and they will tell mm-hmm. you what you're supposed to do. And that's exactly why. I think because they realize once you start studying yourself, then you become mm-hmm. dangerous. Yeah. 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 And, and what you said, too, about how, you know, people don't realize how pervasive these teachings are. One of the things that I really had to struggle with as I was writing this book was, you know, who gets included yeah. and who doesn't. And, um, I mean, early on, I started looking into this um, topic of evangelical masculinity a long time ago, um, more than 15 years ago. And, and I set the project aside in part because I couldn't figure out, you know, what's mainstream and what's fringe. Um, you know, I was reading Eldridge's Wild at Heart, and I this was the height of Mark Driscoll, and so it was clearly a big deal. And then I, at the same time, I would read it, and I would say, oh, this feels really extreme. Yeah. And I'd hear what Driscoll was saying, and so misogynistic. I was like, this can't be mainstream, right? This is still fringe. And so so what do I do with that? Um, but throughout the book, I'm, I'm really kind of grappling with that question. You know, Doug Wilson, and I, I had, you know, one of my readers, uh, academic readers, of the manuscript before, uh, as I was in the editing process, was really questioning that, like, 
I've never heard of Doug Wilson. This is a historian of evangelicalism. You know, why, why is he in here? And, and then I say, well, because he's not yeah. important to you. He's not part of your, your respectable intellectual corner of evangelicalism. But, you know, let me explain. And I've heard from so many people, so many readers who are saying, thank you for putting Doug Wilson in there. Thank you for putting Doug Phillips in there. Thank you for like putting them in the matrix here. And then what I do in the book is, okay, what is the connection between Doug Wilson, who is absolutely fringe, right? He he would be so angry if you tried to call him mainstream. But what is well he's always angry. But um but you know what what is the connection between him and John Piper and between him and Christianity today? And that's that's really the story of this book. Yeah. So I was quite interested in terms of the um the um the militarization because I have heard less about that over here I think. Um uh-huh. and reading it and then obviously I'm at uni and I'm doing church history and stuff and I you know I'm not doing a church history MA I'm doing a theology MA so it's it's just a module and yet I'm reading about the Roman Empire the 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 intersection between religion pagan religion and the military and I'm going this is seems like aside from the fact of rather than sending it you know giving incense to the gods you are the gods you know these men have become the gods you go this is this seems like textbook roman pagan empire here like how are these men (laughs) writing about this and and managing it to justify like that it's christianity i mean that just blows my mind when i look at it like that and like you know i don't even have a question with that that that, that's the biggest thing for me that i think that i just get i'm reading this and i feel like i'm being gaslit by (laughs) pagan roman empire you know it's just like what is this? It's not Christianity. How can you see? I'm being taught that this is Roman paganism and you're saying this is Christianity. Like, this is nuts. So, you know, how do we yeah. how do we deal with that? Like, I suppose. Like, how do we deconstruct that and show people this? Like yeah, yeah. So you know, you say pagan. I, I might use the word you know, secular, or yeah. but but both work yeah. in, in a sense. Um, and and that's I mean that's kind of the story here. That's the John Wayne part of the title, really. You know, so how how is it that you know for evangelicals who pride themselves on being Bible believing Christians mm-hmm. and it's self identify You know, number one thing is they uphold the authority of the scriptures, and and you know that is the face that they they put forward, and that is that is who they are. Um, and then you start looking at this and you say, wait a minute, right? You know, when I first read Eldridge, I was shocked by how little he draws on the scriptures and how ineffectively he draws on the scriptures, right? He goes to Hollywood, Hollywood heroes and Mel Gibson's William Wallace. And he looks to Teddy Roosevelt and he looks to, you know, soldiers and cowboys. And, and that's, um, that's where he, he, he finds the answer to what is Christian masculinity. And, um, and then what happens is that, a kind of secular motif, this warrior masculinity ends up um, really changing Christianity mm. itself because then Jesus gets transformed into uh, a kind of warrior and to follow Christ means to fight the battles. And then Christianity itself, right, has to conform. And it's this, this, it becomes this, this militant tradition. And, um, and, and so that's, that's really, I, I thought long and hard about the subtitle, and uh, the corrupted of faith part, mm-hmm. 
because that's actually not a historical claim and it's a book of history, but that's my little, like my, my intervention and the intro and the conclusion, just, just a little bit talking to evangelicals on their own terms. Sorry. Okay. You Bible believing Christians, but look what you've done. You've transformed the Jesus of the gospels into something almost unrecognizable. You've taken biblical passages and just saying, turn the other cheek. Yeah, no, that doesn't really apply here. You know, love your enemies. No, 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 not, not, not right. Right now. Uh, and so, so that's this little theological claim. Um, is it Christianity? Right. You know, if you, if you, if you approach this as a, th- as a theologian, you can say, this is not Christianity, right? This is a corruption. As a historian, I have to say, yeah, sorry guys, this is Christianity. This is what Christianity looks yeah. like in America right now. I see what you mean in that respect. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the title and who my audience was. I could not give this book to my mom because she it wouldn't matter. The time after the first three pages, she'd be like, "Wait a second, you know, I I'm on to you." So, um, (laughs) so I know you've gotten a little flack for the title, but what? Who was your audience, and like, what was your goal ultimately for this book? Yeah, so you know, my goal first was to explain things. That that was that was my. I, I just wanted to make sense of things. I had done this research, you know, for a long time, I was familiar with this literature on evangelical masculinity and militarism. And, and it was in the fall of 2016, to be honest, uh, in the aftermath of the release of the Access Hollywood tape that I thought, oh, I've seen this before. I, 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 right. This is not. And then weeks later, the election and, and everybody was talking about this. How could evangelicals betray their values? And I thought, no, no, no. Um, you, you don't understand what these values actually are. And so, you know, I really just wanted to explain it as a historian. And um, but I, I also knew that I really needed to to tell the truth. And I knew that in evangelical circles um, and in evangelical academic circles, there are certain rules that you have to follow, um, rules of discourse, <laughs> rules of deference, and um, and being nice and um, not offending people in authority, and and so I um, I went far outside of that world um, to publish this book. So I you know went to secular trade publisher, and um, and I mean they immediately saw what I think what this book could do in terms of the national audience. And so their audience for this book has always been, I mean, essentially anybody who reads the New York Mm. Times. Uh, And they, I don't think, uh, I actually just looked back to my book proposal, right? But, you know, the sketching out, here's what I'm going to do. And I was really impressed that um, I I got it right. You know, oftentimes between your proposal and your actual book, a lot changes. But I I argued to, uh, in the proposal that actually I think evangelicals are going to read this too. Mm. A lot of them, not all of them. And um, I don't think my publisher totally believed me. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure they didn't. But when I wrote this book, it was it was with a, a just a general audience in mind, which was a really healthy discipline because there were a number of cases where my editor would just kind of scratch through something and say, I don't know what these words mean. You know, like I use the phrase, the evangelical subculture. He's like, what? <laughs> so, okay, let me rephrase. There were a lot of those, you know, insider language. Yeah. I had to, I had to just convert it into something that mm-hmm. outsiders could understand. So, so the primary audience of this book, um, as my publisher um, uh, was concerned, it was just general readers. That said, my kind of heart audience was always like pe- people like you, uh, people who have been in these spaces, moved through these spaces, still in these spaces, but. I also didn't want to write an evangelical book for evangelicals. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of those out there and there are some really good ones. 
So this is something different. Uh, so when it came down to the title, um, I, I've always seen this as a, a pro, you know, my study of white evangelical masculinity and militarism. So we were working with, with different variations of that. And uh, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, the um, other folks in the, um, at my publisher, like the sales team, marketing folks came back and said, masculinity and militarism are too long. You can't use them in a title or subtitle. <laughs> so back to the drawing boards. It took us three wow. months of going back and forth. Uh, I mean, Jesus and John Wayne, I, I, I came upon um, and the, through the writing process, but the subtitle took a long time. And, and it really came down to what is this book really about? What is the real takeaway mm. here? And I wanted to say there, there are some real implications for Bible-believing Christians here, mm -hmm. so the corrupted of faith part, and there are some really important implications for mm -hmm. our country, and that's the fractured a nation part. And when I really looked at what the book ended up saying, I felt like that captured it, and I knew it was um, uh, somewhat abrasive, but I think the book is yeah. somewhat abrasive, It's and um, jarring, yeah. and I just thought that was true to the book. Um, so, I, you know, our people are asking, could we just have an edition without the subtitle so we can give it to <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe you could just take the jacket off or something and it's not as prominent. But, you know, the book is jarring. And in, in some ways, I don't know, do I regret that? I, I can't say that I do because the book has had such an impact. And I think part of the reason it has is because I didn't follow all those. Um, with Hargis. That was one of those like jaw dropping moments. Oh, um, so beyond yes. sin, it's like the utter hypocrisy right. of the situation. Oh, Hargus! Oh my goodness! I mean, I had to look up that story more than once. Be like, is this? This can't be true. Uh, wait, it's in the it's in the national media, but no, this really can't be. It, it's true. So, and and how that's just kind of a blip, and that just so many of these stories of just utter hypocrisy, but also just so much yes. abuse, right? Abuse of power, sexual abuse, and and just such a long history of the community saying, eh, you know, <laughs> let's protect the witness, and um, so so people sin, I guess, yeah, everybody sins, um, but uh, I, I think the 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 point of the gospel is to work against that mm -hmm. to uh, you know in, in my tradition this idea of um you know, the kingdom of God, which can be would mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. To some, it's like this theocracy that needs to be imposed. Uh, in my tradition, I've always understood it to be, um, you know, working for um, towards shalom, working towards, uh, you know, the relationships and human flourishing uh, that God has intended um, through, you know, creation and through redemption. And so, you know, really working to do justice and to love kindness. Mm -hmm. And if you just say, um, and particularly with, you know, so you can find sin outside of evangelicalism, certainly, or you can find a lot of bad guys doing bad things. Um, one of the things I hear sometimes is, okay, yeah, this is really bad, but what about Bill Cosby? What about Harvey Weinstein? I'm like, yeah, you know, we can write books about them too. People are writing yeah. books about them. Um, but here we're talking about in the heart of, you know, American Christianity and, or at least white evangelicalism. And, uh, you know, if you're so concerned about the protecting the witness of the church, of the the ministry of um, you know the gospel, then um, shouldn't you want to one pursue truth and not cover up truth, um, and you know two uh, just do justice, mm -hmm. and um, and you have to so so, so you don't have to keep uh, 
propping up abusive leaders. There's another thing you can do. You can say, no, not cool. We're going to expose this. We're going to kick you out of our community. And now we're going to get on with the business of being the church. And it's really, it shouldn't be that hard to make that call. And yet it has been almost impossible for hundreds, thousands of churches, organizations to make that call. And I think there's something deeply wrong there, which points us to what is really at the heart of this movement? What are the values that are driving them, that are motivating them? Mm. Is it spreading the gospel, the good news, or is it something else? And that's really, I think, what this history points us towards, that so, question. Yeah, I have a couple of questions. Um, I've been kind of wallflowering over here because um, I'm just fascinated. And Elsie's asking really good questions. And um, but, but one of the questions that I had for you is, um, and I think it's so appropriate that you and Dr. Barr both put out books, similar but different, um, similar in the way that they're sharp elbowed, yeah. but um, different in, in how they go about like um, critiquing some of these you know masculine um, archetypes. Anyways, um, so my question is, and this is something that I've just been really observing a lot lately on Twitter, and then I have a follow-up question. Um, why, is, why is the sin of rocking the boat unforgivable? But... Um, but you can, uh, I mean, you yeah. can do <laughs> yes. egregious things. And oh, I mean, church. it comes down to power. I think it, it mm-hmm. really does. I mean, at, at its heart, Jesus and John Wayne is a book about power and and the relationship between power and the Christian faith. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, rocking the boat means disrupting um, uh, those who hold power disrupting the status quo, disrupting, you know, that's why there are just so many rules. And what I saw in my research over and over again was um, just how much conservative evangelicals emphasized authority. You submit to your authorities and we will tell you who the authorities are. Oh, and then we're at the top, right? Uh, And so women to men, children to parents, meaning to fathers. And and then you submit to the authority of your pastor. And then your pastor submits to the authority of the more important pastor. And, uh, you know, and this is how how it worked. And so at a certain point, um, as I was writing, I... I just decided to push back against that, the showing deference um, to those who who wield power. And, and that explains the tone of this book. And that that's what the subtitle conveys as well. It's like, I'm not going to play this game. And I, I knew it wouldn't be popular in some circles, but I just, uh, this is collectively for generations Right, evangelicals have been doing this. They've been they've been deferring to those in authority, um, and I think with really damaging right. effects. And so, um, so that's really at the heart of this. I think it's just it's just rejecting um, uh, that that power. And then I, I will say also, I'm able to do that because I'm an academic, because I am tenured and I have academic freedom up to a point, mm-hmm. and because I decided at a certain point I just don't care. I knew I could lose my job over this book, and mm-hmm. I just accepted that. Um, and and I and I um, I wrote exactly what I wanted to say, and thought I'll deal with I'll deal with whatever comes my way. Now, um, you know, a lot of Christian writers um, are in spaces where they have much less freedom. Uh, if they are part of organizations, I mean, I know I've talked to these people and I, I, mean, I know of people who have got, who have lost their jobs because they tweeted about Jesus and John Wayne. And, um, you know, I know the pressures on the inside of, of these organizations. And, um, 
And so I know that there are a lot of people who think things that they don't feel like they can say, they don't feel like they can write in a book. And, um, and I just felt like I was in a place where I could, again, break those rules. And, um, uh, but many people aren't, or, or the costs are really, really steep. Um, you, you know, I know a number of pastors who have um, lost their jobs because of what they've said in the last four years. And, um, uh, you know, organizations who are um, self-censoring because of powerful donors and uh, so, so there's just so much silence right now. There's so much silencing of truth in evangelical spaces. And, um, and as the book shows, there's just this long history. So yes, um, you know, it's, it, it, it really comes down to power. And, um, and if you think that you need powerful men to promote the gospel, to protect the gospel, to, you know, then I guess maybe that's one of your reasons to, um, to promote some of these guys. But it's also, I think there's some selfishness involved too, that um, the way favors are handed down, the way platforms are shared, the way people mm-hmm. are lifted up or canceled. Um, if you if you say the wrong thing in the wrong circle, you're not going to be invited on the main stage. Uh, you're not going to um, have Lifeway Christian you know, books carry mm-hmm. your books. You're, you're going to maybe, and if your livelihood depends on that, that's you know, or if your ego does or a combination, right? Those are, those are real things. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that there, it's a really unhealthy culture actually that we've cultivated for decades now within evangelical spaces, even as we like to say that we are just preaching the gospel or we are just pursuing truth. That's really not what's happening. And, um, yeah, we just have to, we have to acknowledge that we're part of this consumer culture. Evangelicalism is thoroughly kind of entrapped in this consumer culture. It's about money. It's about power. It's about connections. And truth-telling isn't often rewarded. And so, again, I I was in this fortunate space where I could um, um, say what I wanted to say and um, be pretty um, unaffected. And, you know, I I really didn't want to win the favor of any of these um, evangelical power brokers. I, I had no intention of getting invited on any any main stage for any big conference. <laughs> uh, I just was writing as as an outsider. Yeah, yeah, I just, that's not my world. Oh, yeah, no. but again, it's nice to be an academic and have another space to exist in and then just come over and say, uh, you know, here, here, here's a history and take it or leave it. Christian bookstore. Tower. Yeah, What's the like, status here? Um, yeah, no, we're just going to say like, I'll oh, just, um, we've, I've got a silly, like a few questions, jokey questions to give you like short fire round and then we'll finish up. Like, okay. that's all right. Just cause okay. don't want to take too much time, too much of your oh, time. Yeah, no, no, I'm just glad we didn't lose the whole thing. So no, I think it, everything's still recording my end. So, um, it's should be fine. So yeah, right. Anyway. Okay, Christine, are you ready for your quick fire round? Like, first thing, whatever comes to the top of your head, okay? Or, or, okay, or you can also abstain. <laughs> right. <laughs> Question one. Who'd win an arm wrestle? Owen Strachan or Gabe Hughes? Oh, I'm going with Strain. <laughs> um, uh, have to say something nice about him. <laughs> have to say something nice about him. Okay, um... Chris, uh, Christic manhood, over times of homoeroticism at the Roman Empire or nah? 
Wait, what, 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 what? <laughs> I said, you can abstain, okay? I don't want to get you fired. I said, Chris, Chris yeah, yeah, abstain from that one. Yeah, wise. Okay, next one. From all of if you had to be part of an MLL, what would you sell? Essential oils or online exercise programs? Isn't there some way you can combine the two? Because there, if there isn't, there really should be. And there I think that be. that is the next big thing. Nice. Well, you know, if the if you can't get another book out of that book, then yeah, you could think about it. <laughs> right. Next question: How many is in a quiver full? <laughs> it, the quiver is never full. That's the oh thing. dear. Okay. Um, oh. When talking to a crowd, have you ever pointed out your smoking hot husband? <laughs> <laughs> life goals i'm totally totally going there and i am you not kidding as soon as as soon as we're doing real <laughs> events again yes just wait you need for to it do that. okay mm -hmm. so if you had to burn one book to keep warm on a cold night sitting around the fire pit with your mixed friendship group which out the tons of them you mentioned in your book would you burn first <laughs> okay. or you could put it in a box and put it in your garage whatever if you don't want to burn it so, so the, the tra tragic thing is, uh, this has already been done. <laughs> I, <laughs> I went, I went to a, I went to a book club, and they they did have a little. It was a very cold, very cold uh, spring spring day, and it was or or fall, and and they did they did burn a book, and I won't name the title because okay, here's a little serious. I am also a historian oh. of. Um, 20th century Germany and um, the whole book burning yeah, thing. Okay. Yeah, that's why I said you can put it in your garage. So, yeah. it, yes, which one? Which one? I'm looking at my shelves right now. Oh my gosh. You know, I'm just going to go with a Dobson book because Dobson, the damage he has done, maybe what wives wish uh, or what husbands wish they knew about their wives, something like that. Um, one of those early ones, just, just get rid of it. Or maybe bring it boys or this is, this is a hard one. There's so all of them, yeah. many, <laughs> so many. And then there's Eldridge and, you know, I think Eldridge had some good intentions, but, oh, the book did so much damage. So um, yeah. it all, it, it'd be, it'd be, a, it'd be a big box. Yeah. Okay. Last question. What's the benefit of having your unaccredited Bible school in a strip mall? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to answer that for legal reasons. Uh, Slurpees nearby? I don't know. <laughs> okay. That was my last question. So uh, thanks ever so much for coming on to here. Sorry. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's been yeah a real blessing for you to come on and stuff. And you're a great sport. So. <laughs> So Thanks yeah, for thanks so much. Oh, this is awesome, and thank you guys. Uh, I mean, Twitter, Twitter's is a, a, just a great place because of you all, and uh, and thank you, you for helping to uh, to break down the power structures and uh, and disempower the gatekeepers. It's been awesome yeah. to see it work. Yeah, thanks, thanks so much. Yeah, take care. Thank you so much. I wanna leave the very most ten being extinct.